0: Um, for those of you who are new, kind of over the last month, we've done a couple different teachings over the book of Romans. One, uh, I talked on Romans 7 and specifically about kind of legalism and different struggles uh, with that. And then Paul, or then Paul, then Tad talked the next week. <laughs> then Paul talked, Paul wrote the book of Romans. Um, <laughs> then Tad talked the next week on uh, kind of multiple chapters, but specifically focused on Romans 8. And, anyways, Have got some great feedback on on both of those teachings, and that you know both of them have been helpful for people. But the one piece of feedback that I've gotten consistently is, yeah, I kind of get the concepts, but how does this practically work out? Right? Like I've heard, you know, I can read Romans eight, I can read Romans seven, I can read Romans six, but how does this practically work out in my life on a daily basis? And, um, so anyways, uh, that is what I am going to talk about today. Uh, now I only have an hour, so, uh, you know, we're, we're covering a decent amount of, of stuff and, you know, there's future teachings. We can go more in depth on things, but try to do as the best of the best I could, you know, summarize, I think the most practical way on how this all works out, the stuff we've been talking about and really what it is is sanctification or the idea of how do you grow in Christ, right? So you're saved, you're in the family you're going to heaven but you don't want to live your whole life, you know, bump on a log, uh just kind of struggling and getting destroyed by the world. You want to actually find freedom and victory and and allow God to use you in this life, right? And so that's the process of sanctification or growth. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And really, you know, the background of the book of Romans, which I love the background. Um Emperor Claudius, one of the Roman emperors, had actually. So, the Roman church was Jews and Gentiles. Jews uh, were more kind of about the law, right? And obeying the rules. That's a high level summary. Um, and Gentiles were more the ex kind of Romans. They're a bit crazier. And so, you had this church that had both people, right? The rule followers and the crazies in the same church, you know? And Emperor Claudius came in and he kicked out the Jews for like five years. And so over that time period, it's really fascinating. Obviously, it's all Gentiles. So what do you think the church tended towards? More the crazy stuff, more like, hey, let's do what we want. Like, whatever, you know, just chill out. I mean, because all the Jews were gone. So they weren't there to kind of like, you know, come at them quite as hard of, hey, no, there's right ways to do this stuff and wrong ways. And so anyways, so five years later, the Jews come back into the church and they're like,
1: what the heck? What happened? What happened?
0: This is an issue. and they started getting into disagreements. And so Paul said, hey, this is a key church. it's in Rome, right? This is a key church. And so we need to write a letter to them and pretty much explain how this whole thing works because we you know there's 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 fighting and stuff like that and God knew and this will be the greatest book ever written in the Bible of all time too, for the future. Uh, but Paul was just writing a letter. and so that is the book of Romans and that's why it's so great if you're looking, and how to grow and, and what this process of coming to Christ and then growing in Christ looks like. That's why the book of Romans is a great place. And most people, Martin Luther, John Calvin, et cetera, say that it's the key to the rest of the Bible. So if you do not know Romans one through eight, like the back of your hand, you just are lost. You're lost in the rest of the Bible. Um, so you definitely want to know this stuff. And that's why we've been kind of talking about it. So Romans one through three, this is once again, a brief overview is really the point is we've all sinned and have all fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody's righteous. Nobody's like, I'm good enough. Everybody's fallen, fallen, uh, fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans four and five, specifically the beginning of five goes into we're justified or we are rendered righteous by God. And so we're saved. We're good. Like we're rendered righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're good to go. And so when we show up in heaven, uh, God's not going to say, hey, did you do 10 good things? You know, you're in. He's going to, we're going to say, Lord, have mercy on our souls, you know, and he'll be like, okay, you're in because we need mercy. That's That's how we get into heaven. It's not about our works. And then Romans 5, 12 through really eight is how do we really practice this? How do we experience this freedom, right? That we now have gotten, we're justified, we're saved, but how do we live this life in freedom and, and really become sanctified, become, you know, grow in Christ. So the first thing that I think, and, you know, this could be a whole talk and, but this is really, really important. If you don't understand this, you're going to be totally lost in your Christian walk. The question that we have to answer first is what is our ultimate problem? What is our ultimate problem? Who can say it? Sin? Everybody's saying sin. Yeah, good. Right? Our ultimate problem, which Tad talked about this is sin. That is the ultimate problem. But the details of that look a little bit different than maybe you've understood before. And so let's jump in to Romans 5 and see what we can learn about this problem that we're starting with. It says this, 512, if you want to open your, up, up your Bibles to Romans, we'll be in Romans 5 through 8 the whole time. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Because all sin. Okay, so what is,
1: what, who are they talking about? Who's the one man? Who is the first person who sinned? Adam, right? So this is talking about Adam.
0: For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So what this is saying and once again, we could do a whole talk on this, but for the sake of what we're trying to cover,
1: we're going to hit it pretty quickly, is our problem was not that we sinned. You, you weren't
0: born uh, as, as perfect and good, right? David talks about in Psalm 51, I was born in the sin, right? We weren't born, it's like, and you're good and you're going to heaven immediately and like, you're good to go. You're righteous. You're a baby. You haven't done anything wrong. What this
1: says Is No, no, no. Adam sinned and therefore it spread to everybody. You guys see that? Now you might think, oh, that seems like kind of splitting hairs and all this weird stuff.
0: But if you don't understand that your biggest problem is who you are, not what you do, then you'll try to solve it incorrectly. Does that make sense? If you think your biggest problem is, well, I just sinned, and so that's my problem, then we'll talk about what you try to do. But if you say, no, 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 my biggest problem since I was born was I was born into sin. My identity is my biggest problem. I was born a sinner, born into sin, as David said, then you'll solve that differently. You'll solve that differently. The point is you actually want to flip this on its head.
1: We think that you should do good things and then you become a good person. What the Bible says is that
0: you are righteous because of what Christ did, and then you do good things. Doing arises out of being. And that's an important distinction that if you don't get that right, just all your pieces are kind of of messed up. So let's keep going. Yeah, our problem is who we are, not what we do.
1: That is our ultimate problem. And we see this in how we try to solve the problem, right? Because we we think in our heads, okay, my
0: problem is I do the wrong thing. So, okay, what do I do? Let me just do all the right things. And then I can be good. I'll get my time in the word, I'll go to prayer meeting, I'll come to church, I'll be in the ministry house, okay, I've got at least five checkboxes, you know, okay, we're good, like, I am righteous, I'm good to go,
1: because I'm doing all the right things, but those who have uh, tried this, what have you found out? Doesn't work, right?
0: It doesn't work, and so there's only two responses, and I talked about this last time to this, if you try this strategy, you will either give up, you will be like, I'm done with this crap. It doesn't work. Or you'll fake it. And you'll be like, you know, if if you were a kid and your mom's trying to teach you how to swim and you're in like the shallow end or whatever, and you're like touching your toe on the bottom and flailing your arms like, look, I can swim. I can swim. But your toes in the bottom of the water the whole time or in the bottom of the pool. That's exactly what a lot of us do.
1: I can do it. I can do it. But really your toes on the bottom of the, of the, of the pool, you're faking it. You can't do it. It's not possible. To be clear, God is not opposed to effort; He's opposed to earning. Okay, that's a key thing to know. The other option is license. <laughs> so the other, other option, if you're
0: trying to solve your actions as the problem, it's like, well, I just need to understand God's grace. I just need to chill out, and you know, just you know, whatever, do whatever I want, because then I'll understand God's grace and He still loves me, etc. Well, you're going to have the same, very similar responses. You're either going to give up because that doesn't work either, <laughs> or you're going to get so lost in sin that you just lose yourself. And you, you're like, you're, I mean, it's like, who is this person? I don't even know who they are anymore. So license doesn't work. And Paul addresses that multiple times. What shall we say? You know, after all this great news, what shall we say? Should we continue in sin? By no means. There you go, Chris, you got it. You got it solved, man. You got it solved. So we all fall on this pendulum, right? We all fall on this pendulum of, okay, some people struggle more with license. And if you're discipling someone, you need to know this. What side they, because you address them differently. Some people struggle with license. Some people struggle with legalism. So let's see if anyone wants to raise their hand. Who tends towards the legalism side of things? Okay. Who struggles with more the license side of things? If I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty
1: split. So what's the middle, right? What's the middle? Both are wrong. What's the middle? But the problem you see with all
0: these, it's all centered around self. It's all centered around me, 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 right? I'm going to do better or I'm not going to do this. I, 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 me, me, me. Well, this is what God did. He came in and we're playing. We're playing a game of legalism and license. We're playing this game and he came in and he goes, oh, this is the game you're playing. Interesting. He just flips the table and he's like, that's not at all what I'm talking about. You're totally in the wrong atmosphere.
1: You know? And he tells us the most important in Romans 5, the most important thing about you is not what you do, but who you are.
0: And you're trying to solve what you do. Still. We are focusing on our on our actions. God says
1: no, how you fix this is focusing on your identity. That's what Romans talks about. So I'm doing a
0: summary as we go through, because I really want you guys to understand the logical flow of this. So the first point we got is your problem is who you are, not what you do. That is the ultimate problem at the core of every one of us. So let's jump into Romans 6. So Romans 6, starting at verse 3 says this, or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, We've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self, that old self that we had, that that sinful self, right, was crucified with him, with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who's died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So what Paul challenges us here, and this is the first practical point. If you're like, what do I do? I want to know what I do about this. The first practical point is clear. You have to know what your identity is. That's what he says. It's, this is the Bible. This is not my opinion. You, know? you have to know what your
1: identity is, right? Knowing what is true about you is important. There's a story that I stole from
0: somebody. Uh, a story of an old prospector. And he had like a bunch of land and him and his family, they, they barely made ends meet, you know, his whole life. Anyways, he dies at 75, 80, struggled his whole entire life with finances and stru- providing for his family, et cetera. And they come out to bury him and they start digging the hole on his land and they hit something. And they're like, what's this? And they have a geologist come out and they see it's iron ore. It's the largest deposit of iron ore
1: in the United States. And it is on this guy's land. He owns the rights to it. His whole life,
0: he had billions of dollars buried five feet
1: underneath his land. But he didn't know that that was true. He didn't know it. And so it didn't affect his life at all. That's what most Christians are going through on a daily basis. We have all the riches in Christ
0: laid out clearly in the scriptures, but we don't understand what they are. We don't know what they are. And so it can't affect our lives on a daily basis. Does that make sense? And so we have to know what is true about us in order for it to affect our lives just like that prospector. And so this is how it works. Real simple, right? The old man, the old man dies. This is what he's saying. The old man dies. Like Christ died. The old man died with him, right? And then we are resurrected. The new man comes up and we can walk in newness of life. And that's why when, uh, you know, Jacob and I were watching The uh, Chosen the other day um, in John 3, when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and it's like, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like struggling how to understand this. He's like, my mom died. I can't be born again. Like, that's not possible. And it's like, no, no, you don't understand. You need to be born again spiritually. Like that's like by the spirit is how you're born again. Not by, not by the normal means. This is what he's talking about. This is how it works. And I know this is, spir- this is supernatural stuff, right? So this isn't, you know, you're not going to watch CNN tomorrow and see this talked about. Uh, it, it doesn't make logical sense, but it doesn't matter what you think because this is true. And so if you're doing it one way and it doesn't work, well, this is how it is supposed to work, you know? So listen to this this way. This is a lot better, you know? It actually works. So this is what's happening supernaturally in all of us. This is really fascinating uh, so there's that, there's that uh, sentence, um, knowing this, that our old self is crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that's, that's language that is, um, yeah, the Greek is actually Katar Geho, which is, uh, rendered powerless. So that's actually what it's saying. So if our biggest problem is sin, what Romans six is telling us is that knowing this about our identity renders powerless, this body of sin we have. Well, that sounds positive. That sounds progress towards the goal, right?
1: So this is good news. This is good news. So it will be rendered powerless if you go this route. First
0: Corinthians 10 says this is kind of just banks on it. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Because when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so you can endure it. So I think this goes along with it really nicely. This is a key verse in my life where no sin, we're not stuck in sin. If you're in Christ, you know, if you're in sin, it's just because, you know, you're struggling through things. You don't maybe understand your identity. You don't understand how to fight sin, etc. But you are not stuck in sin. In reality, you can think you are. You're
1: not. Because we always have a way of escape that we can endure. We always have a way of escape.
0: Spurgeon said this, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from back in the day. He said, evil enters us now as an interloper and a stranger and works sad havoc, but it does not abide in us upon the throne. It is an alien and despised and no one, no more honored and delighted in. We are dead to the reigning power of
1: sin. That is the truth. We are dead to sin. That is a fact. 1 John 4,
0: we see the same idea of no. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God doesn't see us in our old identity anymore. That's not what he sees. If we see ourselves that way, that's us. He sees us as new creatures in Christ perfectly acceptable to him and welcome into the most intimate of relationships. Like that is how God sees us, but we have to believe it, right? We can know it even, but we have to also believe it. So that's step two is you got to know it and believe it. And that is a active choice to say, I believe this over these false things that I'm being tempted to believe. Another story there's a story of a rich uncle who um, that kind of ties in with this, where this guy, you know, he's at his house watching, you know, the Chiefs or whatever. And he uh, gets a knock on the door. And this guy walks up and he says, Hey, uh, you might not have known this, but you have a rich uncle in Switzerland who is multimillionaire. And uh, in these documents, shows that there's $3 million in this bank account. And all you have to do is go to the bank in Switzerland and sign the papers, and it'll be yours. And, you know, with all the scams going on and everything, the guy's like, no way, that's not true. There's no way. And so he doesn't do anything with it. He just lets it sit there. His whole life, he has $3 million in his bank account. He doesn't know about it. You got to believe it's true in order to make it happen. He didn't believe
1: it. So once again, all the good stuff sits on the sideline and he just lives his life. So, here's a summary so far. Your problem is who you are, not what you do. We need to know and believe the truth that our
0: old self is dead, and now we can walk in newness of life. And we need to know and believe that sin is rendered powerless in our lives. These are truths that we have to know and we have to believe. You want practical steps? There's three of them right there. So, next step, we continue on in Romans 6. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. But alive to God in Jesus Christ. The word "consider here, it means to take account of, to calculate, to think, to think through, to really calculate this in your brain and say, "No, I, I think I'm dead to sin. I think I am." you know? It's really that processing. It's this conscious act of faith, believing in the unseen. Um, and this is associated with what Tad talks about with prayer. Ephesians 1, where it's like, "Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, show me that these things are true about me," right? But it is a conscious, you know what it's like to believe lies. It's not easy to just change your mind, you know, like tomorrow. It takes time. But we got to start somewhere. And you got to start considering when these lies come in. It's like, no, that I'm calculating. I don't think that's true because that leads me to death and despair and horrible things. This leads me to positive things like the fruits of the spirit. So this one must be true. You've got to calculate that stuff. You have to
1: consider it. If we practice this, once again, everybody loves a quick fix. This takes time, but if we practice it,
0: our minds will be changed. They will be transformed over time, but it does not happen in a month So I'm sure it's happened before in a month. It will not normally happen in a month. That is not what you should expect. And we continue on. We see, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So what is this saying practically? So we're considering, well, we're also supposed to present ourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. So how many times do you come before the Lord in prayer or in the word or in general on a daily basis as like, I'm pretty bad and I've made a mistake and, uh, you know, in shame, right? What Romans says is no, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. That's how you present yourself to God, right? You don't present yourself to God in shame and all this nasty stuff. You do it in Knowing God loves you, knowing he cares about you. And so do we relate to God in our old identity? Like I'm, in, I'm you know, horrible and all this stuff, or do we relate in our new identity, which is how God sees us in Christ? You think of a uh, you know, situation where a son comes home from school and got an F on his report card, right? A dad, if you're, if you're a great dad, a son comes home and he's like, you know, kind of moping around and stuff. A great dad's like, hey, it's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Like we all do. You know, we all make mistakes. What can we do to take steps forward? You know, how can we grow? I love you. I care for you. I want you to get better in this. How do we do this together? Right. It's not, you're in trouble, you're busted, you know, you're going to your room, you're grounded, you're horrible. You know, that's not the that's not the vibe you're gonna get from a great dad. We need to come before the Lord and confidently be like, Lord, I made a mistake, but I want you and I want you to help me grow. I want you to help me grow. And so please show me, you know, what do I need to do? What are the, what are the next steps in terms of, do I need to reach out to somebody, get a mentor? Like, can I move into ministry? Like what, what is the right way to kind of put myself in a position where I can start growing? We have to present ourselves to God as alive from the dead. And we know that this transformation of the mind, once again, is how it works. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this seems like brainwashing, right? If you go to a self-help counselor, my sister went to one, not Lindsay, different sister. Um, back in the day, and I saw on her wall, it's, I'm awesome. I'm great. I'm cool. I'm attractive. I'm this. And I'm like, wh- what? Like, you're just making up stuff, you know? Like Not to say none of those are true, but it's just like random affirmations that have no, like, you know, foundation under them. It's just like random opinions. This is brainwashing because you're going to be brainwashed by something, <laughs> but this is true, you know? So, this is the right thing to be brainwashed by. Like, this is the right thing to get your mind transformed by, you know? Brainwashing is only bad if it's wrong. <laughs> like, if it's like, I was brainwashed to brush my teeth, you know, it really sucks. I mean, it's like I was brainwashed to, you know, go to, to use a toilet for the bathroom versus out in the yard. You know, it's like, no, that's a positive brainwashing. Like you want to be brainwashed to those things. You don't want to be brainwashed to like wrong things. So brainwashing is not bad. It's bad if it's the wrong thing to be brainwashed on. We're brainwashed on a million things. Um, Drive on the right side of the road. Yeah, that's a good one to be brainwashed on. So it's like, you know. That's how it works. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So I'm really in, I like brain science and stuff. And it's cool to see how, you know, some people treat their bodies like, oh, my body's like horrible and not me. I'm like, do you know, God created your body? Do you know, God did that. It wasn't Satan. Satan didn't create your body. It was God. So he probably teed you up for success in life with your body because he created it. Um, so this is one of those examples. This is from a book, The Anatomy of the Soul. It talks about how our brain changes. Uh, Kurt Thompson, who's a doctor, says this. Well, it's true that established neural networks are most likely to fire, it's equally true that recent research demonstrates that our brains were created with beautiful and mysterious plasticity. That means our neurons can be redirected in ways that correlate with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, um, instead of automatically following the wired sequence of our old memory with reflection, we can choose to create new pathways. And so this is how biology works. It, don't once again, don't try to argue it. This is how it works. Like this is, this is literally what is happening in your brain. You know, maybe the right side is all the bad pathways you build over the years, and the left side is all the new stuff you're trying to build. Like the more you think about the bad stuff, you continue to build new pathways and new trees of neurons. But if you, as you think about the good stuff, those trees die off because they're not being utilized. And these trees change and improve over time. So it's a biological process. I mean, God created our bodies and he told us how to do it. You think he probably made those things work together, right? Like it makes sense. It makes sense. So this is how it works. This is how it works. And this is what we see in Romans 5, 8 as well. For those who are according the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those uh, with the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. So, this is everywhere. This is how it happens. It's the transforming of the mind. No, consider, present. No, consider, present. You grow over time. Second Corinthians 10 the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Right? We don't
1: need to be convinced that God's strategy is to renew our minds. This is, everything says this. So here's a summary. We're getting towards the end of it. Your problem is who you are, not what you do.
0: We need to know and believe the truth. Our old self is dead, and now we can walk in newness of life. We need to know and believe that sin is rendered powerless in our lives. We need to consider these truths, calculate them constantly so that they truly can transform our minds and we need to present ourselves to God as alive from the dead, right?
1: So this is all grace-based, all God's love and his care for us. That's all this is. And Romans six seventeen says the same thing as we keep going through Romans 6, but thanks be to God that
0: though you were slaves of sin in the past, you became obedient, here's the key, from the heart. And this is where legalism kills you and all this just obeying rules and laws because you can do rules and laws for a while, but your heart isn't being changed.
1: And so you're still a baby. You're just a baby who knows the right things to do. You know? You're a baby who can drive a car. That's the worst type of baby. That's the worst type of
0: baby is a baby like seriously. So in leadership, If you read books on leadership, the scariest person, so it's character and competency are the two things you look for in a leader. The scariest thing as a leader is to find someone who has high competency and low character because they can bedazzle and bamboozle and whatever people like crazy because they know all the right things to do, but they're, they're children. So you don't want to go that route. What he's saying here is you want to be obedient from the heart, which means the core of all spiritual. That's what the Bible says with the heart is. It's the core of all your spiritual activity. To that form of teaching to which you're committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification.
1: Once again, this is clear. The Bible just lays it out. This is how you get sanctified. Here we go. Here's the plan. It's awesome. So, so let's close out with more specific application. So you've already got the no consider present stuff. Let's get more specific. So we see at the top, you were slaves to, slaves of sin,
0: Then you became slaves of righteousness. At the bottom, you presented your members as slaves of impurity. Now present your members as slaves of righteousness. The first thing we need to know is the difference between position
1: and condition. Position is what is true of us, what is unchanging. So, right? We
0: were slaves of sin. Now we're slaves of righteousness. That is unchanging. That is the truth. Condition is our daily experience, the things we experience. So, hey, present yourselves as uh, now present your members as slaves of righteousness. Right. So that's 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 an action. Right. That's something we have to do. So that's going to vary. You're not going to feel great every day. You're not
1: going to do it right every day, etc. But that top thing, that's always true. Right. A position focus, what happens when you focus on this position side or your identity is
0: you feel this gentle nudging towards greater holiness and righteousness. Have you felt that if you're a Christian and you, know, you come to Christ and you're like, I used to like that. And now it's, it seems wrong. Like it's just, that's wrong. I just don't like it anymore. Right. But it's a gentle nudge. It's not a slapping across the face or anything. It is a gentle nudge when you focus on your position where God's just sanctifying you step by step by step by step, one at a time. People who focus on their condition have no way to define themselves other than their performance and their feelings. So if you focus on the condition, the state of what you're feeling that day, I mean, you're going to be super lost because you feel good one day, you feel bad one day, you do this one day, you feel this one day. So you want to focus on that position. Conditioned people are kind of constantly taking their emotional temperature, constantly like, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Position people are just zoned in on that top part, just zoned in on who they are in Christ. So this is the first distinction we need to make. Obviously, the top is God's perspective, and the bottom is our human perspective. God sees us as sli- sl- slaves, slaves of righteousness, Uh, we generally see ourselves as kind of um, the bottom side. Um, And we're generally trying to
1: do a bunch of stuff. God's perspective is like, hey, you are slaves of righteousness all the time. And this is another really cool thing. This is probably my favorite thing is indicatives and imperatives. Who knows what
0: indicatives and imperatives are? One person, two people, three people, okay, four, there we go. So this is like, those things are cool above, but this is like my favorite thing that really just kind of unlocks a lot for you. So indicatives, I'm actually read a definition because this is I'm not a literary person. That's not my thing. Um, when we describe the way things are, we use indicatives. When we describe how things should be, we use imperatives. So the way things are, once again, going back to it, our position, the way things are, this is the truth is we're slaves of righteousness. How we should do things is present your members as slaves of righteousness, right? So indicative,
1: imperative. The imperatives in the Bible are 100% commands that are based on the indicatives. Do you guys know that? Who's read the book of Ephesians? Okay, a lot of people. What's the difference between the first three chapters and the second section? Right? The first part, just go read it after this.
0: The first three chapters, all it says, like this is a letter, right? And there's there's problems. This is to a group of churches, a lot of churches. So Paul can say a lot of things. The first three chapters, he just says, this is who you are. He doesn't give any commands. He doesn't say anything about like, do this, do that, do this. He just says, this is who you are. And then he gets into, hey, here's the kind of imperatives. Here's what you should do. Here's
1: kind of the right ways to do it.
0: But it's all started with the indicatives of this is who you are
1: in Christ. This is your identity. What we are supposed to do is always based
0: on what God has already done. If you're doing something that isn't connected to what God's done, then that's probably not a positive thing in your life, right? Everything in the New Testament, go read the epistles, the words in Christ and in him are in the New Testament. And specifically, Paul uses it in the epistles, I think like 143 times or something. And it's 180 times, I think, total in the whole New Testament, in him and in Christ. What he's using those as is you need to know in him, you get this in him, you get this in Christ, you get this in him, in Christ, in him. I mean, it's all he's using that language because he wrote the book of Romans. And so he knows how it works. And then he writes all the other letters and uses that language. So it's all about in him, in Christ, because he says your minds need to be set on your identity. And then out of that, you do things. That's how it works. And if you think of a practical example, um, you know, you'd much rather say, uh, you know, have, have your dad say, if, if he gives you a car or something, um, hey, here's this car, I'm giving you this car, please be responsible with it. I've given you this free gift, please be responsible with it, right? That's based on grace, a gift, a free gift, right? It's the same thing with this
1: because we've been given the generous gift that we're, we're asked to do something. So we got a few slides left. So I bought a box of
0: these for the church, so they'll hopefully be in this week. But one of the other really practical ways as you're doing this is, well, how do you know what your identity is? Well, these are like identity bookmarks from um, Neil T. Anderson's uh, ministry, Freedom in Christ Ministries, and just have, those in your, have have one in your Bible, you know? And it just kind of lists off all the things that you are in Christ. And if you have that with you all the time, it just forces you to just go back to it, go back to it, go back to it, um, and just look at it. So, um, yeah, we're going to have those, and I'll hand those out maybe next week or something. So, quote from Andrew Murray on sanctification, the highway of holiness, it kind of uh, talks about this. Bitter failure is the result of the ordinary view of sanctification. According to which it's our work to be done with the aid of the Holy Spirit. So it's like, I'm going to do good. And then God sprinkles some magic dust on me, you know, to help me out. But really, it's on me. And it's often only after years of sin and self reproach that they learn that there's a better way, that holiness is by faith, just as righteousness is. And that because Jesus Christ gives and is our sanctification, Just as he is our justification, our one care must be an unceasing and ever-increasing faith to receive from Jesus the holiness there is in him for
1: us. So we're all about holiness, but how do you get there, right? How do you get to holiness? We have step four.
0: We have step one. What are the two steps in between, though? If you just jump over the top, you're going to fail. So what are the two steps in between? It's this you've got to receive it from christ it's in him that we receive these things but if you don't know that you're in him and don't know all this stuff and aren't applying it and your mind hasn't been transformed you can't receive the holiness of god in the way it's supposed to be received which means you're going to receive it as a legalist and corrupted and make it nasty and you know hard and all the stuff it's not supposed to be
1: so you got to take the right step two and three to get to four does that make sense we can't jump steps So that's the last thing. Set your mind on your position, God's perspective, the indicatives,
0: and let God transform your heart towards his purpose. And this is how you are somebody who believes you get to do things. You don't have to do things. So many people, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. I get to do this, right? I get to, but that's not a, oh, so I'm supposed to say I get to, I'll just start saying that, you know? That's not how it works. (laughs) This is this is a heart transformation. We're not trying to just force actions. You have to be transformed. You can't just do the right things.
1: That's part of it, but it's not the main thing, you know? So and final slide is this happens just brick by brick.
0: It happens brick by brick. And the best thing is, is to know you're on the path, right? As a, you know, uh, Jake and Robbie meeting up and, and just, he's going through some of this stuff and, you know, he brings up a prayer, but like seeing, we're seeing a lot of progress and it's like, it's dude, it's one brick at a time. You just keep going after it. Oh, I have a bad thought. Okay. Well, let's go through the thing. Okay. I'm feeling better, you know, and there's process, there's progress. Um, Allie won't mind me saying this, but she was crazy, you know, seven years ago and like suicidal and all this stuff. And she's, oh my gosh, who she is now is just like, holy crap. But it didn't happen overnight. We didn't go to a prayer meeting and snap our fingers. And then it just happened. That does happen sometimes. And we should pray for that. Right. But a lot of what God does takes time because he wants you to help other people. And if your answer for everybody is, oh, Dom, you're struggling here, just pray once. You'll be good. You know, like. That's not that helpful for him. Like he needs to know what's the process. You know, how does he get through this stuff? People need, it's hard. Like this is not easy all the time. And so, so God is teaching us as we go through these processes, how to help others and becoming more humble because we have issues and we got to get through them. And so, but it's one brick at a time. Don't give up um, in one month, two months, three, three months, et cetera. Um, but know you're on the path and you need someone in your life to help you through this stuff who can really help you. So, um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, if you guys have any questions, like I said, this was one hour or so 45 minutes. So there's a lot more to talk about, but I think this is a good kind of summary. If you wanted practical steps, this is how you do it. This is how it happens. Um, so if you want, if you want more, more things or more questions, come talk to me, but I'm going to pray for us. And then, um, I think, uh, R- R- Richard's and do the, the prayer time. Father, we come before you in Jesus name. And yeah, God, we, we, we want a transformed heart. Uh, we're, we're not satisfied with just uh, doing the right actions and just doing the right things. And um, yeah, without a heart that's truly transformed, we uh, want both. We we want to obey you. We, we we want to to do the things, God, that, that that you've laid out in your in your word that that lead to life, that that really lead to helping others, helping helping ourselves, um, glorifying you ultimately. Um, but we we need you to transform our hearts. It needs to be your process and your ways, and you know us better than than anybody else. And so, God, I just pray for everybody here that we would just be a church that that just uh, becomes obsessed with our position in you, like you say, just becomes obsessed with what we have in you and all the things you've given us in Christ. And that that would just give us a passion and a motivation to take those free gifts that we've been given and then use them for the benefit of others and to glorify you, Lord. But we have to get step one down before we can really uh, explode on step two. And so just pray for everybody that we'd be patient with ourselves, that we would uh, push really deeply into really establishing this identity focus in our lives. Um, and that, yeah, that ultimately it's, it, it is your work that that needs to be done. God, we can't make it happen on our own with some pixie dust. Uh, we need you to actually transform us and to lead the whole process because you are the best counselor
1: of, 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 of anybody. And so, uh, yeah, we love you and just pray this in Jesus name. Amen.